Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Listen to that cheery music. Hi, folks. This is audio description in the Performing Arts Opening CEU 76154. Good afternoon and welcome to another in uh, our exciting series of sessions focused on audio description brought to you by ACB's Audio Description Project. Uh, audio Description and the Performing Arts. I'm Dr. Joel Snyder, uh, the president of Audio Description Associates, LLC, and I'm the founder of uh, ACB's Audio Description Project, or ADP, and its uh, senior consultant. I am uh, all of 67 years old by way of self-description here with a receding hairline. It, actually, it has, it has receded all the way to the back of my head, but whatever. What little hair uh, is left on my temples is gray and white. Thanks, Cindy and, Wallace. And um, is gray and white, but I make up for all my, that, all those, Hi, those sparse locks. We can hear you, Katie. In... <laughs> Oops. That's okay. I'm, I'm in the middle of my self-description. Anyway, I make up for my sparse locks with a full beard and mustache, all dark brown, gray, and white. And the beard, of course, hides a a multitude of chins. Um, I am going to read aloud the text on this uh, opening screen that I have, because that's how you make text accessible with audio description. You read it aloud. American Council of the Blind and its audio description project, in collaboration with Audio Description Associates, LLC, present Audio Description and the Performing Arts with Joel Snyder, PhD, President, Audio Description Associates, LLC, Founder, Senior Consultant, Audio Description Project, ACB with our special guests, Brenna Nicely from the American Repertory Theater, Mary Hanks, opera describer in Houston, Jess Curtis from Gravity, and Alice Shepard from Kinetic Light. Monday, July 19th, 4 to 5, 15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And at the bottom, the words American Audio Description Symbol. There's a logo there, a white square within which are two letters in bold black type, an A and a D. The left side of that A is tilted just a bit to the right, and to the right of the curve in the D, three curved lines. And I always note that I, that's where I stop, because we describe, we don't explain. Sometimes beginning describers might go on and say, oh, they represent sound waves, you know. Well, there's nothing there that says that for sighted folks. I'm not sure you need to do that for folks who are blind or have low vision. Just a little bit about our audience there and uh, a little bit about audio description, really. It is a real pleasure to have with me uh, these performing arts professionals who have made it a part of their work to build greater and more meaningful access for lovers of the performing arts who are blind and have low vision. Our panel includes as I mentioned, Brenna Nicely from the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mary Hanks, opera, opera describer extraordinaire. She's based in Houston, Texas. And two representatives from the dance world, Jess Curtis of Jess Curtis Gravity in San Francisco, uh, California, and Alice Shepard of Kinetic Light based in New York City and the Bay Area in California. 
I'll let each of our panelists introduce uh, themselves with a brief self-description and information about their work uh, when they share their remarks. And then I'm going to matter- moderate a discussion with some questions that I prepared, but uh, it'll be great to hear from you. Uh, our listeners with any questions or comments you have. Um, it, you know, for me, this is a special treat because, uh, well, for two reasons, really. First, I believe it is the responsibility of all arts institutions, of, of all institutions open to the public, to be as inclusive as possible. It, it's all about access to culture, and that's everyone's right. You know, there, there simply is no good reason why a person with a physical disability must also be culturally disadvantaged? No. And, and second, my own background is in theater and audio description. Um, and well, audio description in a formal sense began with the theater community. Uh, it dates back to the early 1980s. I was fortunate enough to be a part of that group in Washington, D.C. that developed the world's first ongoing audio description service, 1981. That was a collaboration between the Washington Ear, the radio reading service here in DC, and Arena Stage, a major regional theater company. Nowadays, audio description in the performing arts has proliferated with with theater, with opera, dance performances, in particular. uh, And I've had the opportunity to provide description for hundreds of live theater events, um, maybe only a few operas, actually. Mary's going to fill us in on that. She's the expert. And it's been an honor for me to work with Axis Dance Theater in San Francisco and Oakland, California, an integrated dance company. They use dancers in using wheelchairs, using crutches, moving on one leg, what have you. Um, and we've worked with other dance groups providing audio description for a range of, of dance projects. My wife, uh, Esther Geiger, is a Laban Movement analyst, and she's been a great help in uh, using that kind of technique for describing movement. And remember, please, on the Audio Description Project website, uh, which is simply adp.acb.org, we list performing arts companies in about uh, 30 states that have audio description availability, uh, making performances more meaningfully accessible to arts lovers who are blind or have low vision. So check out our website for sure. So audio description in performing arts is about 40 years old in the United States in a formal sense. Uh, It began as a strictly volunteer activity with theater and, and typically has been offered at only one or two performances during the run of a show. And, you know, I don't think that's good enough. Maybe our panelists can speak to this later. What can be done to make every performance accessible with audio description? You know, there, there are several ways that companies have experimented with integrating the description within the production, casting a describer uh, who's at every performance, recording the audio description and so on. So maybe we can speak to that a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, let me, let me take this all a little bit further in, in, in just closing here. I think that when a company develops audio description for a production, I think their work is early only half done. And I say that because it's critical for arts companies to reach out to the intended consumers of audio description, make sure they know 
about audio description, have, have programs available in Braille and in large print, uh, create tactile opportunities and touch tours and such, uh, get people coming to the performances. I indeed, the two largest uh, barriers for attendance at arts events are cost and transportation. Now remember, 70%, 70% of people who are blind are unemployed. So I think the most successful access programs are the, the ones that actively reach out to this community and perhaps offer programs that assist with cost and transportation. And, and also the involvement of the consumers of audio description uh, in, in performing arts, have them, if they know about description, they can be marvelous uh, consultants critiquing the description for a performance in a rehearsal, perhaps, before going going live uh, with performances. So um, involving the community, nothing about us without us, as is said. So with that, let me um, turn off my share screen here and um, let's hear from Brenna nicely and the marvelous uh, things they do with audio description at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you, Joel. I think some of what you teed up I might touch on in my remarks, so Please. that's a great segue. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Brenna Nicely. I use she and they pronouns. Uh, I am a white femme in my early 30s. <laughs> I, I have very long dark hair that I almost always wear up in a bun. I wear gold glasses, and today I'm wearing a black t-shirt with white letters that reads, Make Art with a period. All right, yes. right on. Yes. Uh, and in my environment around me today, I'm surrounded by plants and yarn, two things that I love very much. Uh, I am zooming in from Arlington, Massachusetts, which is on the unceded ancestral land of the Massachusetts and Pawtucket peoples. I like to offer a land acknowledgement to keep myself accountable. Uh, I am also the Education and Engagement Director at the American Repertory Theater, which is the professional theater on the Harvard University campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. At ART, I oversee uh, education and community engagement programs more broadly at the theater, uh, which for the past few years, almost 10, uh, has included programs focusing on accessibility. At ART, an audio-described performance is formatted similarly to probably what you are likely to find at other professional theaters, like the ones listed on the list that Joel shared. Uh, a skilled describer will draft a script that coordinates with a performance, and on the day of the production, users would access that description live in our theater building by using a designated headset. There's usually a pre-show description that discusses topics like wayfinding at the theater, uh, and major visual elements of the production. During the show, the describer also uh, integrates key descriptions timed with the performance and all that happens live. Uh, we also do offer braille and large print programs and we do a touch tour where audiences can get a tangible sense of the textures used in the major design elements of the play, including costumes, props, and the set. Uh, and I have to say, many audience members enjoy the touch tour, even if they are not attending for the purposes of audio description. So it's a great example of an accessibility function that serves everyone. Everyone uh, likes to touch. Yes, everyone likes to touch. Uh, and it's a great way for the staff to get to know our audience members more personally as well. So I really love the touch tour. 
touch tours. Uh, in special cases, we've done pre-recorded pre-show description when a live description is not feasible. And during COVID, we've been able to integrate description into digital performances, both pre-recorded performances, which I learned is much simpler than working in a live format, uh, and live digital performances, which I've also learned can be much more complicated than working on in-person programs unless the technology is supportive, uh, which it unfortunately usually is not. If you need somebody to commiserate on how to set up description for Zoom plays, I can't really help, but I can commiserate. It's very difficult. While our ultimate goal would be to integrate accessibility services into any performance like Joel had introduced, unless the service is built into the production, the coordination and cost of engaging professional live interpreters can be a barrier. So that's something that we uh, are challenged with all of, all of the time. Uh, one step we're taking is I'm in the process of hiring a new position called the Accessibility and Disability Justice Organizer at the theater. And that's to help us make decisions and act in a way that grows our practices from a mindset of accommodation, which is where a lot of theaters and performing arts organizations are, towards a mindset of inclusion by design, which Joel also hinted at trying to figure out ways of incorporating multiple viewpoints and needs in the actual uh, design process of what we're making. Uh, part of this will be thinking creatively in terms of logistics, though I really do think, and this is Brenna's personal thoughts uh, based on conversations with colleagues and folks in the community, I think much of it is about aesthetics and challenging our fixed ideas about what live theater should look, sound, or feel like. Uh, one question we could ask is why a set designer doesn't integrate a caption screen into their design all the time? Why is that not a function? Or why a writer or a sound designer doesn't plan for audio description from the start of their work? With this new staff position and integrating the advocacy and feedback of our communities, also something that Joel pointed to being important, uh, we hope that we can probe into questions like those in a way that can hopefully shift our mindset uh, on what makes theater valuable and inclusive. There's also a trend in audio description, at least in our community, that most describers come from a very small group of usually white women, usually in the age category of 40 plus. Uh, and while we love them and love the work that they do, uh, in order to better represent the work that we have on stage and the audiences in our theater, we've been working in our local community to train and work with a more diverse group of audio describers, both folks who write audio description and folks who narrate it. Uh, and that's my brief overview of uh, what we, what our current process is and what is on our horizon. I look forward to hearing from the other panelists and being in discussion with you all today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brenna. Boy, that's great. I, I have got to get back to ART sometime uh, and enjoy your productions with audio description. Next up is Mary Hanks, not to be confused with the mother of our 16th president, whose Abraham Lincoln's mother was named Mary Hanks. But this is not that Mary Hanks. This is Mary Smith Hanks, and she's an opera describer in Houston uh, and a good friend. Mary, go ahead, please. Thank you. I am Mary Smith Hanks. I'm a woman in late middle age, with fair <laughs> skin, brown eyes, mixed brown and gray hair, shoulder length, oh, and dimples. I'm <laughs> you from Houston, Texas. And while Houston is the most diverse city in the United States, we have a long way to go in the areas of equity and inclusion. All too often accessibility in Houston depends on charity more than it does respect, common sense, or justice. That's why I became a describer in the first place, to raise standards, to increase availability, and above all, to empower and involve the consumers in the process. 
I followed an unusual path moving from technical writer to opera describer. There aren't that many opera describers, period, because audio description is rare in U.S. opera houses. And this is a shame because modern opera stage presentations can be amazing, non-traditional, almost overwhelming, nuanced, rich in symbolism. The staging can create a radical interpretation that you're going to miss if you don't have access to the visual information. Opera really needs audio description. If you don't have it in your town, please demand it. I'm proud to say that Houston Grand Opera has offered audio description on two days notice for every main stage performance since 1987. <laughs> I'm also proud to have described literally hundreds of opera performances at Wortham Center for Houston Grand Opera. And of course, I also do films, plays, museum exhibits and things like that. As an audio describer and a disability rights advocate, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. That's great, boy. It's great to get to know you and your work in Houston a little bit more, uh, Mary. And and uh, I know we're going to have some other questions about the ins and outs of, of opera. Well, let me just ask right now, why do you think it is so rare? What What is that about? You know, it's been in theater. Um, well, I know of a few other opera describers, like you said, but what's that about? Uh, for, uh, a lot of it is just lack of awareness within the opera companies themselves, Houston Grand Opera, keeps forgetting they even offer this program, even though they were the first opera company in the United States to offer it on any kind of a regular basis. Also, wow. it's very difficult. It's very challenging because people aren't there to hear us talk at all. It's very difficult to know when you can speak. You really have to be an expert in opera. And I've been going since I was 10 years old, which was before most of you were born. It's, <laughs> it's very hard to effectively describe opera if you are not a, a, a devotee. And also if you don't have a good background in aesthetics, semiotics, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I bet as a result. They don't want to pay for it even. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true uh, throughout the arts community, perhaps. But uh, um, I, I hope, uh, I was going to say, I bet I hope that just as a result of this session, our listeners will, um, you know, think about uh, opera and description and go out and demand it. Uh, they're the ones that use it. And, and, and then it'll happen. You know, it, it has to do with uh, visibility, if you will, of the consumers. And, and letting, they have money to spend on a ticket uh, and the opera company's missing out on that earned income. So, Jess Curtis, what about dance and, and audio description in San Francisco? Tell us about that. I'm gonna share my screen here so I'm ready to, um, to uh, show, uh, uh, play a little bit for you here. Great, um, my name's Jess Curtis and I'm a middle-aged white guy. Um, with a shock of messy white hair standing up on top of my head. I, I wear glasses, I have blue eyes. My glasses are kind of round and round maroon frames. Um, I have surgical steel earrings on in my ears. And um, depending on where my arms go, you might, uh, I have uh, some tattoos on my, on my arms as well. I'm wearing a V-neck, a gray V-neck v-neck t-shirt and i'm in a room that's kind of um, orange and white with a big poster on the wall that's one of my favorite performances called forgeries love and other matters 
<clears throat> so that's me. Um, I started to um, understand accessibility um, through uh, the leadership of a bunch of collaborators over the years. I've done a number of collaborations in the UK, um, most significantly with a self-identified disabled artist named Claire Cunningham, who really introduced me to audio description and, um, and accessibility practices. Claire's quite an international art star and activist and uh, in our collaborations <clears throat> uh, made it really clear we're going to have audio description it's going to be integrated from the beginning and we're going to figure out how to build that into our work um, and utilize that and that was really amazing um, in 2015 the piece that we were we had a residency at the place in london and got to work with a number of of audio describers and blind artists and blind directors to just do research on how how might we do this what is sort of the standard around audio description and then what are interesting things people are doing so people like maria oshodi who's the director of extent which is an all blind theater company in london um, and Mikhail Smithens, who's a blind dancer, came into the studio and we played around and did a lot of different things. And we built this show called The Way You Look At Me Tonight, um, the at me in parentheses. And we're also working with <clears throat> Dr. Alvin Noe, who's a philosopher of perception. And I should mention, um, Joel, I, you can call me Dr. Jess if you want. Oh, my. Okay. I wrote my PhD in phenomenologies of perception around how we perceive performance. That's kind of what I wrote my dissertation on. Bravo, so sure. My professors. So we brought kind of that information and asking about how, how we perceive dance in particular, but performance in general. So I'm going to just play a little bit of a, a minute of, of audio description from in, in that piece, we built the audio description. We used audio description to create the text that everyone in the theater hears. And then there's also a secondary a voice that only the people who are wearing headsets hear. That's Emma Jane McHenry, who's an amazing audio describer in Glasgow. Um, so I hope that should be clear. Joel plays it. I will play that. I do want to mention that I note here that live transcription, closed captioning has been enabled now for uh, anybody who would uh, uh, like to uh, enjoy that. Let's play this clip from Jess's work. Jess and Claire have moved from the chairs to the center of the space and now lie on the floor beneath the hanging sculptures head to head, feet pointing in opposite directions. We begin again. I lie on the floor. They don't move much. Some audience members seated further back are partially visually blocked by the people in front of them. Some of them move in their chairs in order to see better. Are they moving? stay on the floor and begin to roll onto and off of each other. Occasionally they roll up against and into the people sitting around on the floor. Then they reverse and roll back into the centre. We take turns being between the other and the ground. And my face turns with him. The floor, the earth. And his head is now resting on mine. Is she ticklish? 
Gravity holds us together. I take the weight of his head. That's the moving head there. Okay, okay. Cheek to cheek. I love that, Jess. Heaven, dancing cheek to cheek. <laughs> I, I didn't pick that up when I first heard. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in that, in that select, maybe it's obvious, but uh, yeah, our score, the recorded score was all Claire and I describing what we're doing and what we're thinking about and what we're, where our attention is. And um, Emma James describing sort of from the global outside picture. And in that, the setting of that piece was also uh, an immersive seating situation. So the audience is seated all around us. Um, and then Alva's score in that particular moment, he could, we, we said he could only ask questions. So his, his score and, and ha thinking about how you can ask a question that, that can tell a lot about what's going on <clears throat> when he says, is she ticklish? That always cracks me. Um, so anyway, from that experience uh, in my work, and now we've started committing to making all of our work accessible. We bought the equipment to tour that work. We actually recorded that, and that that that's a recorded audio description that tours with this. And we have wireless headsets that so that the blind and low vision audience can receive. Um, that and um, and then as I was starting to look around for our San Francisco and Berlin premieres, I noticed that really almost no one was doing audio description in the Bay Area, and um, we started to say, well, maybe we have the equipment. Have an I have a basic idea of how to do audio description, and maybe we can start offering it to other people. Um, we brought Joel out actually, who gave a. a Work weekend workshop to a bunch of the performers that I work with, and we started Gravity Access Services and have been for the last three years offering subsidized audio description to anyone who wants who wants it. We've gotten some funding from the Haas Foundation and the city, and are um, yeah able to do um, we all the all the describers in who are described for gravity are all performers themselves and all body-based performers so come with a vocabulary of how to describe movement and um, in an effort to make what's called what I think of as economically accessible audio description we do what we call kind of call a one-take audio description process where the the performers that the audio describers I work with We'll go watch a, a performance, have a conversation with the artist afterward, and then we'll go and the, after that do an extemporaneous, um, non-scripted um, audio description. And in that way, keep the cost down. So that, for example, with Claire and I writing and recording that whole audio description um, to travel with, we spent about 15,000 euro to, to build that. Um, and we can offer with our, we can offer audio description for about 800 uh, a show and with our subsidy from Haas, then artists only have to pay about 300 a show for an audio description. Um, <clears throat> uh, we've continued to do that. We're, we work with a number of blind advisors and um, Georgina Klieg, who's written a lot yeah. about audio description oh, yeah. and her book, uh, More Than Meets the Eye, How Blindness, uh, How Blind, what, what Blindness Brings to Art. Um, and also Gerhard Pirner, who's a German audio description, blind artist and, and theorist. Um, 
Yeah, then the last year we've obviously had to pivot a lot to figuring out how to do things digitally. And we've done a lot of videos, a lot of live, uh, live stuff, and that's been um, really interesting. And I think we're starting to think, oh, how could we do this going forward? If we can get somebody to put a camera in any theater in the world, um, we could remotely offer audio description via FaceTime or via Zoom or via something. Um, and I could sit here and uh, do an audio description for Bakersfield Community College if I wanted. Right, right. So that that might be a way that we can we can expand or offer more access. Um, I also wanted how you you're gonna have to cut me off. I always no no go ahead go ahead. Just to say, um, I like to think of access as much bigger than just audio description too. That we we always in live settings always call, offer what we call haptic access tours, which is. Right a touch tour, except that th this is my PhD speaking. To me, the, the whole haptic experience of walking through the split the space so that blind attendees can understand the scale of the stage and hear the acoustics in the room. And um, it's so that it's not just touch, but there's something about reaching up to feel a set piece and feel how high it is um, so that the whole haptic experience is, is part of that. And, experiential and yeah yep. and all of our senses and things like immersive seating that we now with my last three pieces all of our work has been um has had immersive seating so the last what else was i going to say <laughs> my bullet points oh and uh, yeah we've been quite fortunate here in the bay area working with the artists that i work with and have had really have relationships with we're we're actually fortunate to have like our our crew is seven artists a majority of whom are actually people of color and non-binary gender identi identity folks. So um, it's it it that, and I feel like that that is an important element of having a diverse team that can bring diverse perspectives. Oh, and the last thing we've also been experimenting with not just getting feedback from our blind colleagues that we work with, but um, because but actually having blind call our blind colleagues co-author audio descriptions. Um, so being able to partly through our, we also work in Berlin and through some funding we had in Berlin, we can afford to to bring, have our, our blind colleagues attend that preview and either get a sketchy, a sketchy description, but then they, they discuss with the person who's going to do the describing what, what are interesting, where were the holes in the in the 3D experience, and and that's been quite interesting. That has, of course, relies on, in order to pay people, it, it, it can make the experience more expensive. Um, but has, but at the moment, we've been able to afford to do that on a lot of gigs, and and that's getting really interesting. Sure, that's great. Well, I, I'm so glad, Jess, that you mentioned. Uh, uh, referred to this this past year and a half and COVID and what you have done to keep audio description a part of what you've done electronically uh, or virtually, if you will. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll come back to that. Uh, and I also wanted to note too, uh, what you're doing with integrated audio description, um, you're really expanding the horizons of audio description in a city like San Francisco, which, by the way, you know, I always talk about Washington, D.C. is the home of the first audio description service. Well, 
in the late 70s, uh, Gregory Fraser wrote a master's thesis about audio description. That was the first written research material on audio description. It came out of San Francisco, and uh, his work became AudioVision, which is a group uh, for many years has been providing fairly traditional audio description for touring musicals and that sort of thing. I think they're still active, but- uh, Yeah, they're done in San yeah. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's great. Thanks so much, uh, Jess. And we'll, we'll turn to Alice now and hear about Kinetic Light. Alice? There you go. Oh, greetings and um, hello. I'm Alice Shepherd. I'm a light-skinned black woman with grey-brown curly hair, a microphone headset in front of me and a window behind me. I'm wearing a blue shirt. In my circles, we're in a new place. Access and audio description are no longer about helping people see a show or listen to a talk. Access is no longer about describing an object, a set, or a dance movement. Access audio description have become sites of artistic experimentation. In conversation with blind, visual, visually impaired and non-visual audience members led by disabled artists, practices like audio description, which have traditionally been seen as intermediaries between an audience member and the work of art, are now the work of art itself. How do we get here? For Kinetic Light, the journey has been simple. Our blind audience members told us that what we were doing was not enough. Described movement was not an encounter with a design, with the dance, but an encounter with one person's view of a subset of the movement. An equitable experience would make it possible for audiences to weep, cry, laugh, and gasp at the same time as others in the audience. An equitable aesthetic experience should make it possible for listening audience members to be transformed. And that means that the listening experience should be artistically on a par with the visual experience. What does this mean for dance? The transformative connection now for kinetic light is not how do I describe a dance? The transformative question is, what is dance when it is a sonic work of art? Why do we assume dance is meant to be experienced visually? What if dance were a rich listening experience as it is a physical experience? What if, like any viewer, a listener could choose what they listen to? So we've begun to receive of dance as a sonic work with blind audience members, both as advisors and as creators, Kinetic Light has doubled down on the practice of the description of movement. We have developed multiple verbal descriptive tracks. Depending on the show, we offer description tracks for the movement, the set, the light, the projections. We offer a track of simple movement description and a track of more intricate movement description, which is offered in poetic and interpretive styles. We offer tracks revealing the interior world of the dancers on the stage, as well as information about the technical details of the dance. In addition to these soundtracks, we've invested in the process of sonification. You can listen to the sounds of the dancers' bodies on stage, the bumps, the bangs, the skids, the breaths. We've set the verbal description to their own soundtracks that can live with or without the dance music. We commission poets to tell the story of dance in poetry or dramatic dialogue. How do you listen to all that? Access, we know, has to work. But access is not the same for everyone. And artistic equity, which is not the same as inclusion, artistic equity is not the same for everyone. 
Not everyone wants to listen to everything. Not everyone can listen to everyone, everything. And some people want to listen to everything and more. So audience choice is key. For our online and digital film work, Kinetic Light has been offering what we call single track audio description, as well as a blended experience that mixes two or three or more of the other kinds of tracks. We call this multiplex description. We invite our audiences at live shows to pull out a headphone and a tablet. If you don't have one, we have one. Open the web app. We offer tutorials that guide you through the pre-show materials, the program notes. Designed by Laura Lawson, the app offers listeners a chance to experience dance as an audio experience. You can come experience the touch tours, the 3D models, and then at the top of the show, the app becomes a portal to the world. All the tracks are synced. You can choose whether you listen to one track, two tracks, or all of the tracks. You can switch back and forwards. If a sighted audience member laughs, you will reveal why. If a sighted audience member gasps, then perhaps the listener will gasp at the shock of the bump and the crash of the sounds of a dancer's body. The experience of listening in our world becomes simply that, an artistic listening experience that has aesthetic work in its own right. Access has become the art. And Joel, if you have yes. time to play the clap, the, the track, that would be amazing. That. I'm going to pull that up right now. It's a little faint, I'm going to say, but uh, I think people just need to listen uh, real closely and it'll be worth it. Releasing, Venus rushes up the slope, Andromeda in pursuit. Um, just for an embrace, comes up empty. In the growing dark of night, the light sculptures projected onto the terrain also light up against Venus and Andromeda's bodies. They glide through each other's spirit guides and the purple and pink bars of light. They trace a large circle around the edges of the terrain, then move again in unison, floating, an arm raised that guides and steers them through the dark night. Okay. Okay. There we go. That was 30 seconds of what you might listen to in headphones. Yes, yes, right. Wow. Thank you, Alice. This, this is so exciting. Um, the... Um, well, the whole the whole notion of integrated description, you cast it as uh, I speak on this uh, sometimes uh, audio description as an aesthetic innovation, that it is something that is an art form in and of itself. And I love that you're you're you, you said doubling down on it. You're running with it, you know, and, and I think that's so wonderful. The other thing I wanted to bring out, too, is this idea of audience choice, uh, you know, We've been doing that in museums, museum description forever uh, by by using layers. Uh, there are, we say in museum world, you know, there are uh, skimmers, swimmers, and divers. Some people just want to skim, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, gift shop, you know, uh, some a minute here, a minute here, gift shop. But there's some that want to be, they want to have access to every scrap and tittle of the text. And you're doing the same thing. It, it, with performing arts and audio description. And, and honestly, I've not heard of that before. And I think that's a marvelous innovation. Let me take a couple of minutes here to um, see if um, I, I've got a couple of questions and we'll open it up uh, very shortly to uh, the audience here. I do want to ask about, um, and Jess, you touched on this, uh, this past year, year and a half and COVID. I mean, it could be as simple as, uh, Brenna and and Mary, maybe they're just they just haven't been theater opportunities or opera opportunities. Um, I I don't know what ART has done 
virtually or the Houston Grand Opera. Can you can you speak to that or how this is whole, how the COVID crisis has impacted your work with description? Who do you want to respond first? Go ahead, Mary. You've got your microphone on. Well, Houston Grand Opera canceled the rest of its season before this last one and all of what would have been this season. So there were no opera performances. They did have online material, but I mentioned the possibility of adding audio description track and I just got this look and then nobody <laughs> would recognize and oh, boy. admitted that they thought they would find that too technically challenging. Wow. Yeah, that's a shame. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Oh, boy. Brenna, what, what about ART? Yeah, we um, suddenly became filmmakers is how I would <laughs> explain how uh, we ended up pivoting. So we've done a mix of productions that are intended to be pre-recorded and viewed after they're recorded and a few that have been live. Um, we've integrated audio description into the pre-recorded um, recordings. It's actually to me, it seemed much easier than trying to figure out what it would be like for a live uh, for a live performance. So uh, we're happy that we were able to do that. And the platform we were using was able to have multiple tracks sure. that folks could use. So there also wasn't, you know, a separate place you had to go in order to get the service that you wanted. Uh, it's a little more difficult with the live performances, largely because of the platforms that are available, um, needing to not only figure out how to make the production work uh period, and also how to make it more, um, how to design it in a way that's more inclusive was sure. a challenge. Um, we did end up doing a Zoom play. It was an interactive experience, and we had a Zoom breakout room that was dedicated to audio description. That's one way that we cool. were able to um, figure cool. it out. It wasn't perfect. Yeah. No, but but uh, you, you, you had the resources at ART to try to, as you say, become filmmakers and add description, whereas Houston Grand Opera wasn't quite sure how to, how to, how to facilitate that, even though Mary tried. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting when you say filmmakers, this goes back to, to what Alice was talking about. Since media picked up on description, 1985 or so, um, description has exploded in the United States and around the world. Uh, and people begin to know about it and it increases that in performing arts and in museums. But it is 99% of the time post-production. It is like subtitling. It is like dubbing. It happens after the fact. The piece is done. The director of the piece, if you ask them about audio description, they'll, they'll stare at you. They don't, they don't know anything. It's not taught in film school. I've had that conversation with people like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And, and um, what exactly? There isn't a clue about incorporating it in, in, in from the get-go. And, you know, maybe Alice and, and Performing Arts, you're, you're leading the way and have something to teach our, our folks, our friends in, in media. Would you, would you agree, Alice? Um, I don't know, but thanks for the invitation. <laughs> yes. I, well, so, I mean, but the, here's the thing is, I think that my, my circles are, it's not a question of how does this get done afterwards. It's a, that everyone is in the mix from the beginning, right? We are planning choreography, designing choreography, working with sound artists and working with writers from the beginning, even as we're choreographing the work. 
Um, and so we have developed approaches and practices that we're planning. Like, what does it mean to have a sound rehearsal? Like, we're going to have to spend a week recording the sound to have that run. When does that sound engineering happen? Um, and so I think I think that it's not a matter of including that this is actually the work that happens as right. we do it. It's right. it's understanding that any live performance is can be experienced in across any number of the sensory uh, ways and that the, it is an artist's you know question who's responsible for access yeah. all right yeah. we all are don't yeah. push it onto the institutions because the institution will only fund it retroactively and this needs to be in the creative process but don't push it all onto the artists because the artists don't have the funding to do it right, right. so somehow but in, it has to be a mix of both and we're in the middle creating yeah. as we go it, yeah it needn't be this add-on after the fact type thing as an accommodation as a servant if it is built in if it is considered as an aesthetic innovation someone said earlier about you know why are captions uh, just part of the design i can't remember if that was brenna or, or alice yeah it was brenna you know the great opera director peter sellers uh he did that when when he was first time he was told oh i have to put surtitles uh, up so people will understand what's being sung well, you mean you want me to you want me to alter my stage picture? And he was at first, huh? How can you? Well, he had to provide certain titles. That was just the given, and he did, and he did it with a he made it part of his mission he had sir titles. He had side titles. He had them in different colors, in different fonts, according to his vision for that particular opera, Mary. That was an opera, and. Um, Wow, that kind of uh, imagination and creativity. Uh, we need more of that, I think, with, with all arts production, but certainly uh, with respect to uh, audio description. So, wow. Um, let's uh, go ahead and... Um, yes, yes, yes. Is, is that... <laughs> Katie, can we um, open up for uh, questions? And uh, are, Actually, Jess, do you have your hand up there? Did you want to... Oh, please speak. Yes, please. Go ahead. And I, I just wanted to speak also for please um, that it's really I think it's also possible to offer a whole range like what we're doing in my own work we're embedding and starting from the get go with embedding access into yeah work and so like a funny story of our costume designer Michelle Cooper on the last who designed the last two sets of costumes he said you know the place where i go to buy fabric they're starting to think that i'm crazy because i go in to select fabric for costumes and and i go in and i rub things together to hear how <laughs> how the fabric sounds on <laughs> and we've i've there's a, an amazing um, theater director in the uk named chloe phillips who she coined the term stealth access. And she's she's she said, she worked with Claire and I when we were researching. She said, yeah, every character in my work has different shoes. So you can tell, oh, when the flip-flops come on, that's Gabriel. <laughs> you know, and those kind of things that are really easy to build into work. Um, but on the other hand too, with, with our ac gravity access services, um, I I think it's it's been also really useful to offer an entry level to folks that are like, they're doing a play and they just heard about audio description. Yeah. And we're trying to find ways to also 
cater to them. And then that begins a conversation where, you know, we were doing something at, at Shotgun Players in Berkeley um, earlier in the year. And I got to have a conversation with the director who, you know, these actors came on stage and they were just like talking and talking and talking and talking and not even a break in between yeah. their dialogue. And, and you know, our, our blind listeners were like, yeah, I there was no space for you. You, you had to either talk over them or... Yeah. And, have that conversation with the director and go maybe just think about uh, having some moments that are not just talking all the time in order to right. make your work more broadly accessible to a range of sensory experience yeah, yeah. So. you know and so so right uh jess and and uh I, you know i like what you said earlier about some of the costs involved and ways to uh reduce some of the costs i say that because Again, description began in performing arts as a strictly voluntary activity. And there's nothing, no reason why a volunteer describer can't be excellent. And I've heard some professional paid describers who really weren't very good. That's not the point. The point is we, we strive for quality and no one would think about hiring a sign interpreter for a performance and not paying them. You know, audio description has grown up. We are in our, what, late adolescence now, maybe perhaps. We are innovating. We are creating all the things you guys have been talking about. Um, and, and we are professionalizing. Uh, we're on the way towards uh, certifying audio describers in this country. Um, and and they, they, they need to be acknowledged that way as a, a professional activity, I think. And we're headed there. Um, Katie, can we open up uh, the floor? So we to sure speak? can. And uh, you have some questions there. We do. We've got seven hands up. Janine, please unmute. Hi. There you go. Hi, Janine. <laughs> Hi, my name is Janine, and I just want to say thank you so much for audio description. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate every single one of you in the arts that are making it happen and making changes. Um, I was on an advisory board this past I fought and fought and fought to get audio description in the theater for the Orlando Fringe and uh -huh. Stacia Boyd. Yeah. Um, and I worked really hard together. It was its first year and it's growing pains, but I really love to hear all y'all's story. Um, I, I have a question. Um, you know, there's this thing with advocacy audio description in the arts. So there are some really cool comedy clubs. And when I call them and I say, do you have an audio describer or I'll ask an independent theater like do you have an audio describer or whatever and they're like no it's an undue hardship and we don't wow Janine you're fading in and out yeah well that's an interesting story about comedy clubs there she goes or yeah well, you know, the ADA doesn't say that only nonprofits uh, uh, or, or um, uh, uh, 501c3s or NGAs have to be accessible. Uh, every place has to be accessible. I've done description at comedy clubs. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes up, it comes up when they have a comedian who has a disability and, and the, mm -hmm. the comedian requests it and uh, as though as though people go to a comedy club, people with a disability go to a comedy club. They only want, they only want to go to hear comedians that have disabilities, which makes no sense. It's as though <laughs> if, the, if the only film described is the miracle worker or something, it makes no sense whatsoever. But um, uh, uh, 
wow, can 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 you any anybody else want to speak to that a little bit? Uh, the availability of description in multiplicity of venues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you, uh, Janine. And in Orlando, of course, you've got the the great good fortune of having Dan Spoon, the president of the American Council of the Blind, right there. And he is a big supporter of audio description. So um, good luck to you and Stacia and everybody involved. And yes, Alice, go ahead. Um, and then Jess, uh, I think, so this is a, an act, this is, I want to say two things. One is if audio description is always an extra and retroactive, mm-hmm. then will, it will never be funded. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. If it is always something that has to be added on once the, the work arrives at the venue, it will never be funded. Um, but I think that we can begin to hope for a world where creation grants and venue grants can apply to municipal fundings. Like if you have a line in your budget for funding for access, then your access will be funded. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, right. So it, 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 it's it's about starting with the thinking process. And so if you're constantly fighting at the level of audience advocacy, that, you know, it's going to be really, really hard to make change. You can do it. It's really hard, but also systematic change is necessary. And that means going to the places where the money are, money is, where the money is getting sent it and making sure that access is a line item. Uh, absolutely. You know, I worked for 20 years at the National Endowment for the Arts, and every grantee signed a statement of compliance with Title 504, which meant accessibility. And I guarantee you, 80% of the grantees did not provide the range of accessibility that they needed to. And and yeah, forget integrating it from the get-go, uh, even as an afterthought, they didn't they didn't do it. Um, but if you put it in the budget and plan for it, I think Alice is right, you can get funding for it. Jess, did you have something? I was just gonna say one of the things that we did, we hosted a, a, a forum at Lighthouse for the Blind here in San Francisco. Oh. And um, the head of San Francisco Arts Commission came and stood up and said, what can I do? And we said, um, Georgina was at that and Tiffany and who works with me anyway. And we said, put a line item in the, in your budget template. If the Arts Commission had a line item for act in their budget template, then people would go, how much, am, oh wait, are we spending anything on access? How much does access cost? Do we put a zero in that? In that <laughs> does that make us look <laughs> So there's that part of it that I think all kinds of, we, you know, we're trying to figure that out. And I have to say, we've had pretty good luck. I think people understand the equity of access. And so, so far we've, we've had pretty good support from a number of foundations. Yeah. The Cause and the Rain and Foundation here in San Francisco. And the other thing that I would say, Janine, to just respond to you is, um, is it would be great. It's, it's a, it, the more people use access and demand access, the more it will happen. So I've, you know, I've done five or 10 uh, audio descriptions where an artist has gone out, has provided access and hired us and spent money out of their budget that they hadn't actually pre-thought about. And then one person showed up to use the audio description and they're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Want to come to this yeah. dance? Yeah, we, we need greater visibility for sure. It still is underknown. The more it gets used and yeah. the more 
I mean, I know from going to a performance with a blind friend, all of a sudden going, oh, right, that, oh, they're not, they're missing that and that and that. And the more blind folks find their way to, um, to performances, the, the more artists will understand the need for, for I love that story about the San Francisco Arts Commission. Uh, Mary Smith, Hanks, I want you to take that to your people in Houston at the Houston Grand Opera. <laughs> I'm, I'm very hopeful because we have uh -huh. new leadership at Houston Grand Opera, and hopefully the woman will be someone who values accessibility. And I don't, is there a Houston Arts Council? Uh, I mean, I know there's a Texas commission. There, there is, but my attempts to reach out to them have yeah. met with almost nothing. They, this is, they, they say that this is not something that they deal with. And I'm, I'm, the state has a person who knows about it, but once again, right. that, that's well, so you're going to You're going to educate them. What about you, Brenna, in, in Massachusetts? There's a great Massachusetts Cultural Council, as I recall, but I'm not sure about Cambridge. Uh, there is a Cambridge Arch Arts Commission, um, but we tend to be very close with the MCC, and they have a universal Good. participation initiative that's very supportive. Um, for us, it's really just been to, as an arts institution, as a part of a very large um, institute of higher learning. It's been yeah. about the line item. I mean, this is very logistic, but our accessibility line item is now cross-seasonal instead of like small okay. bits of money in individual projects. Um, and that's intentional so that we can use what we need for what we need it for rather than um, yep. kind of siloing ourselves into uh, penny pinching, really. You know, when, when you go to, uh, Brenda, when you go to TCG meetings, theater communications group, you know, talk about it. Get, get, others involved of the other regional feeders around the country you know me i'm not sure they're thinking that way and and they need to um it goes back to what alice is talking about about the funding make it a line on it make it make it happen there um katie who do, who do we have we have now? 12 hands oh my okay good janet and keith please unmute you have any Meeting tools. Audio now unmuted. Okay. Hi, Joel. I guess you don't know that i was a very big theater goer in new york city <laughs> Uh, you know a lot about me, but uh, Alice, I have to say, what you you did, it, it brought tears to my eyes. And and hearing hey, the clothing and the footwear, that would be wonderful. But I have over 100 playbills downstairs in alphabetical order in playbill binders of all the plays I've gone to. But in 2019, I went to see Fiddler on the Roof in New York, and my friend got the tickets. And I did not know it was in Yiddish. In Yiddish, right. <laughs> did not know that. And somehow my husband got separated from me because they saw I was visually impaired. They put me in the third row thinking I could see. And I was alone. And it was in Yiddish. And there were subtitles. And the audio description did not work. Oh, no. And I kept shaking them and going, I'm here alone. I can't see anything. Oh, no. But I love the sound of the music, but I heard nothing. The whole dialogue, everything was in Yiddish. Oh, yeah. and was, you know, I went to that production. They had the subtitles. Yeah, they had, well, side titles, actually, not subtitles, but side titles on the left side of the stage, audience view, uh, in English, and on the on the right side in, in Russian, interestingly was, enough. Fortunately, part of nothing it. For, was, nothing for Janet. There was someone there reading something to someone, and every once in a while, I caught the sound of some dialogue but it was it was really beautiful but Amazing. i love That's what you're great. doing and i want to say mary is there any way i could hear some of this opera somewhere on zoom 
Or is there, if any of you want anything tested on Zoom, I will test anything that's done in audio description. <laughs> I can put you all in touch with Janet Parmeter. Uh, she's based in Atlanta. Great. Uh, yeah. Mary, are there, are, are there snippets of opera with description available some? Other? I, love that. I would love it described. Unfortunately, not the copyright issues. Oh, yeah, that could be. If yeah. I could share, please. One of the things we've, we did uh, in the last two years is we started a, bit, an, a website called BayAreaAccessiblePerformances.org. <laughs> and on that website, it's open to anyone who's doing any access accommodation. They can submit and it will be listed. And I know for a fact right now on there, there are a couple of different live on-demand uh, on free audio-described um, really? wow. Amy Seiwert imagery ballet. There are like three dance films called Sketch, I think. Um, and uh, yeah. So oh, great. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, send me a note about that because I want to be sure it gets on the audio description project website. Please. Yeah. That's great. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Janet. This was great. Great. I will mute myself. Who's next? Area code 205. Please unmute. Hello. There we go. Uh, my Hi. name is Ken. Uh, Joel, I, I love what you're doing and I'd like to be a part of it. Uh, I've been doing oh, voiceover work for uh, 36 years and I'd love to know. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if I could have your phone number, sir, so that I could talk to you and we could talk more in depth about audio description and how I could help in that field, sir. That, uh, well, that's great to hear from you, Ken. Uh, you know, the best thing might be to send me a note at my ACB email address, jsnyder, J-S-N-Y-D-E-R, at acb.org. Uh, and actually, the week after next, we have our, our next uh, Audio Description Institute, our 18th five days of training and description. And I think uh, the voice talents that work with audio description, I think they're better voice talents when they know about the creation of audio description. So send me a note, uh, Ken. I would love to be able to respond. Jay Snyder at acb.org. And your last name one more time. Is yes, Snyder. S-N-Y-D-E-R. Jay Snyder. Jay Snyder at audio description.org well no it, it, it can okay. be audio described.com but acb.org is easier schneider at acb.org there you go thank you very much you bet who's next annie davis please unmute hello hi annie Hey there. Oh my goodness. I have first want to say I have immensely enjoyed this presentation. I just love all of your your passion and I just I want to go to an opera or go to a dance <laughs> or whatever because I'm just loving every minute of this. That's I That's so true. my question is well, I'm an opera fan as many know and I one year I know it's in Cincinnati there are certain venues where audio description only happens at one performance mm -hmm. so what do we have to do to ensure that there's audio description at every performance so that blind people have the the same opportunities to attend the plays at their discretion and their availability as as sighted people and also i want to share an experience of three years ago i attended an opera. It was actually the the wall, the Pink Floyd opera of all things, isn't that right? <laughs> and um, the audio describer didn't show up, oh, and no. so I, I just felt 
like oh, well, there's been at least a backup and they go that should yeah. never happen if, yeah. you know we get that people that emergencies happen and life happens but there has to be a plan b when one audio describer yeah. is not able to show up for one reason or another what Annie, do we have you, to do and you have touched on something that's so critical and i i referred to it in my remarks uh what jess and, and alice talk about in, in integrating the description well you, you don't have a problem then it's there at every performance right uh but we have there have been other things that folks have done. We have uh, essentially cast uh, an audio describer with a production so that they're throughout the rehearsals. Joel, that yes. is not going to happen in, in opera. Well, well, yeah, it may be not. I mean, I, I should hope perhaps so we were able to do it at arena stage uh, and actually have them there talking like like Alice and Jess said, you know, talking to the director, talking to the scenic designer, the costumer and developing a script. Greta mentioned using scripts at ART uh, that is available at any performance. And then the describer is there. They can go home after 45 minutes if nobody shows up to hear the description, unlike a cast member. But that's one way. Um, there's recorded audio description available for live Broadway performances uh, in New York. And uh, people have mixed feelings about that. But Mary, please, what, what else could be done? Uh, well, the answer I would give to Annie is the answer I would give to so many people on so many issues. Advocate, advocate, advocate. Organize, get groups involved. You have to make noise. Nobody's just going to do it out of a sense of conscience, unfortunately. Yeah. Brenna, do you have, has that come up for you guys? Do you, do you offer more than the one or two uh, performances or? We've had some solutions that have been more widely available, yes, but I would say we are one of those houses that offer the one or two options sure. kind of with a disclaimer of, you know, if there's other dates when you yeah. would like to come, let us know and we'll do our best to give, accommodate. And give two weeks that. notice or something, which, you know, anyway. Yeah, usually we can do it with audio description within a few days, but again, right. it's about communicating that to folks, um, the public facing issue. Public facing, we have the two performances. I would definitely agree with um, advocating, though also finding the people within the organization who will listen to the advocating as well. And in addition to advocate, 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 I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say litigate, litigate, litigate also. <laughs> um, depending on the organization, you know, making some... I'm not going to say threats, but threats <laughs> known um, sometimes makes people listen more carefully. And, and I would, yeah, yeah, Jess. Yeah, I was just going to say, as Joel referred to, any organization that's getting money from the NEA to produce yep. the book is is obligated to provide just to provide access accommodations and reminding them of that um, yep. is is useful. I mean, in another also as a small provider producer of, of art events um the it there is there's an economic component to it that is sure. just it costs money and i you know as i charge people to show up at their show to do an audio description regardless of whether they have an audience that shows up yep. or not so um and are so the more people are using services the more people understand it and um, it just it goes both ways. Recording something, like I said, can cost adds a zero to the cost of of offering audio yep. description. So with all of my recent work, we have audio description available um, every night of our shows. Sure. But when we're um, we only can you know most most presenters. Uh, <coughs> 
excuse me, of the work also, they can only afford to hire an ASL interpreter for one mm -hmm. night of the weekend. Right, right. right. Uh, because that's for running yeah. shows. So it costs money. and Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say we, we did it for two productions at Arena Stage. And one of them was Fiddler on the Roof, actually. Uh, but in any event, um, we did it because we had a $15,000 grant. It took a grant to enable us to pay the theater to come up with tactile and haptic experiences that they might not have done otherwise to pay the describer, for their time, et cetera, et cetera. So it does take money. And um, uh, that's the world we live in, I guess. Brenna. Yeah, just the two things. Oh, I'm just, I hate to interrupt guys, but it's it's 11 uh, after and we have it. quite a few hands up. So sure. would you mind if we move on? Brenna, uh, what are you? Code six, Gary, oh, go ahead, Brenna, and then we can yeah, move on. That's great. Sure. Yeah, I, the only two things I was going to add is um, it's not the responsibility only of the folks who are interested in the service to advocate for it. So also making sure we're, rec we're recruiting everybody to say, even if, you know, you're not needing audio description to participate right. in a production, say, hey, I'm interested in your audio description. When can I come? There you go. Um, because also if the more that a theater knows that people will buy tickets for something, the more they're uh, uh, motivated to do it. Sure. And also advocating for um, funding sources like yep. folks have been pointing to, not just to have it as a line item, but to also have an accountability plan where folks receiving funding um, have to meet certain standards in order sure. to receive that funding. Sure. That will get people to listen. Good, let's go ahead, 609. Uh-huh. Hi, it's Wanda from New Jersey. Um, I don't have a question. I just want to express my gratitude for this presentation and my gratitude for all of you who do this work. Prior to me losing my vision, huge consumer of the arts, and the only reason why I'm able to be a consumer moving forward is because you all provide these wonderful audio description performances. Right before COVID, I got the opportunity to um, go to an audio described ballet for the first time. I got to see Giselle at a local um, ballet theater here. It was wonderful. We got to participate in a touch tour and, you know, touch the costumes and the headpieces and things of that nature. So that was wonderful. And in July of 2019, unlike the prior caller, I got to see um, a Broadway show, um, Ain't Too Proud, um, and the audio description was fabulous. And what I loved about it, not only did it enhance the performance, obviously, but they described, you know, the environment and the, the house in which it was presented. And I, I loved, I, I just loved all of it. So with that, I say thank you. Oh, and my goal great. now that I know this is possible, I, my, my, my audio description goal um, is to see Ryan Speedo, the opera singer, in some kind of audio described performance. There you go. So thank you. Make a <laughs> note about that, like, Mary. <laughs> I, have, I have described him here at Houston. Oh, my goodness. There I, you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is for the work that you do, and I appreciate you so you. much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're right up against time here. I want to mention on the screen, I'm showing email addresses for folks. Um, you can reach me at jsnyder at audiodescribe.com or acb.org. Um, we haven't had time for all the questions, but you can write to us directly. Brenna is at Brenna underscore nicely, N-I-C-E-L-Y, at harvard.edu. 
Mary Hanks, you can reach Mary through me. Just send me a note at jsnyder at acb.org. Jess Curtis is at Jess, J-E-S-S, at Jess Curtis Gravity, all one word, at gravity.org. And Alice is at Alice at kineticlight.org, K-I-N-E-T-I-C-L-I-G-H-T dot org. And with that, Katie, I think we're right up against time. Do you want uh, to give the closing CEU? I will. Thank you for the reminder. Boy, I needed that. The closing CEU is 53719. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.